0: So there's a book called The City of Joy by Dominique Lapierre. It doesn't get much more French than that. In this book, one of the main characters is an American doctor, Dr. Loeb, who flees to Calcutta, India, seeking peace of mind after tragically losing a young patient on his operating table back in the States. And it's not long after he gets there that he meets a nurse by the name of Joan who runs a clinic that serves the poorest of the poor in that already poor city. The nurse, finding out that he's a physician, an American physician, no less does what we would expect, she tries to recruit him to come and help in her clinic to serve her patience, Dr. Loeb will have none of it, though. He tells her not only is he a non-practicing doctor now, but he doesn't, like much, he doesn't much like sick people to boot. Slowly, though, his life becomes more and more entwined with, with the people of that city, a city that, despite its abject poverty, he will come to know as the city of joy. More and more, he's drawn towards them, but still he keeps his barriers up. After all, he has not come to help these people, but rather to concentrate on himself, to find his own peace of mind. At one point, Joan, that nurse, confronts Dr. Loeb, and she tells him, you know, you have three choices in life. You can run, You can spectate, or you can commit. The way Dr. Loeb sees it, he's probably somewhere between running and spectating, but commitment, it's out of the question. But then one day, a man with leprosy, a man who has already lost both of his legs, has literally dropped at Dr. Loeb's feet. And he pleads with a doctor to come and help his wife, who in that very moment is experiencing a difficult and dangerous delivery. And suddenly Dr. Loeb is stuck. He can't not help this man in the immediacy of his need. And so he goes. And suddenly he finds himself working with this passion that he thought he had lost. And the mother and the baby, they're saved. And Dr. Loeb commits. Finally, he commits himself to volunteering at that clinic. In the weeks that follow, he he gradually loses himself in caring for others. And in the losing of himself, he also finds himself. And there's this one line in the midst of those weeks where he is finding himself finally, where he turns to Joan, that nurse, and he says to her, I have never felt more alive. You know, I wonder, I wonder if that's maybe not what we're all trying to say when we often say that we are blessed. I've never felt more alive than when I stood out there on the last day of vacation on that beach and I watched that gorgeous sunset over that perfectly still horizon. I've never felt more alive than than when the phone call came and they offered me my dream job. I've never felt more alive than than that day when they, they handed me the keys to my first home, Independence never felt more alive than, than that first date. Hashtag blessed. But there's a problem. There's a problem with that kind of blessing, that concept of blessing isn't there. If that's the only way we understand blessing, then the problem is that blessings must be Fleeting. Because that sunset, it it always fades. Because that boss on the other end of that phone call turns out sometimes to not be such a great person after all. Because that first home springs its first leak in the roof, because that perfect relationship sometimes hits a few bumps. I mean, I even think about the disciples in this story from Matthew's gospel. If you've ever been to the place that is traditionally thought to be the Mount of Beatitudes, you know it's this beautiful, almost serene setting. You're perched halfway up a hillside that overlooks the gorgeous waters of the Sea of Galilee. To your right is Tiberias, to your left are the Golan Heights, overhead are the crystal blue skies of the Middle East. I mean, it's this beautiful scene. If the disciples had had smartphones with them, you can almost imagine their post. Hanging with the Messiah. That goes along with a picture where Jesus is framed to the right and maybe a panoramic view looking out over the Sea of Galilee. Hashtag blessed. But then I wonder about everything that follows. Do you think the disciples would still be posting hashtag blessed when that Messiah leads them out across those waters into a cave where a demoniac is chained up? Do you think they'd still be posting hashtag blessed when when Jesus leads them into the courtyard of the temple and begins overturning tables, stirring the hornet's nest? Do you think they'd still be talking about how blessed they feel as they watch Jesus hang there on the cross as they slink into the shadows. Right? Blessing in that sense, a feeling of aliveness, it's, it's great while it lasts, but ultimately we always discover how shallow it really is. Which is why I love the Beatitudes. Because if the disciples were really listening that day to what Jesus was saying to them, they would understand that the Beatitudes are revealing to us a different kind of blessing, a deeper kind of blessing. Right, because Jesus is teaching here About a blessing that, that is not fleeting because it is not a feeling. Jesus is teaching here about a blessing that is not a feeling of aliveness, but rather life itself. Right? Jesus is teaching about, about this kind of life that we arrive at when we stop running and spectating and instead commit. Jesus is teaching here about a life that, that we're capable of experiencing as fullest in the darkest hour of the night. As in the light of a new day. Right? Jesus is talking about, about blessing as, as this life that comes when we commit ourselves to serving Others. True blessing, Jesus says, comes when we are able, in other words, to look into the cracks of the world. Into the poverty, blessed are the poor in spirit. Into the grief, blessed are those who mourn. True blessing, Jesus says, comes when we can look into the cracks of hunger and of pain and see the kingdom. Of God, You know, there was a moment back in March of this year when I wondered to myself, you know, how can we really possibly, how can we be church if we can't gather? If the camera were fully zoomed out, you would see an empty room but for a few souls. How can we be church when we are doing church this way? Right? Because the world was so upside down, so suddenly for all of us. But but here in the context of the church, right? No worship anymore in the ways we thought about it. No Sunday school. No congregational meals. No Easter luncheon. No Wednesday programming. No preschool. How can we be church when when everything is turned upside down? But then you know what happened? (laughs) I began to notice how things were happening in the cracks. Volunteers with the Hunger Action Team could not be stopped. They showed up anyway, and they spread out in order to make sure that there would be food. Food in the pantries of the the neediest students in our community. I started noticing things happening in the cracks when, when dozens of people raised their hands to knock on doors and call on some of the most vulnerable and isolated members of our congregation. Things began to happen. Hundreds of you literally wrote checks so that we could write checks To our neighbors, experiencing financial duress through no fault of their own. Things began happening. Some of you noticed that many people were so isolated that they had no way to actually experience the touch of another. And so you began sewing and knitting so that people could literally feel the weight of the love of their God. That surrounded them, no matter where they were. I began noticing things in the cracks. When violence and tragedy came into our own community, many of you rose your hands and and showed up to say this is not right. Now listen, it's uh it's been tiring, it's been frustrating. It hasn't always gone exactly how we planned, like today's live stream took us a little while to work out the kinks. It's even been discouraging at times, but in big and small ways. In this upside-down time, there have been countless moments where it has felt to me like the church, not just our church, but the church of Jesus Christ, has been losing itself in caring for others. And personally, personally, there have probably been more moments in the last six months than in the last six years where I would say to you, I have never felt more alive. There's a pastor and a scholar named Eric Koppel He wrote a book on the Beatitudes that I commend to you and that has been a a guide of sorts for me in thinking about this series. And he describes this blessed life, this life of blessing that's so much deeper than what we might have initially thought. He describes it this way. He says, a blessed life is a life transformed and blessed lives gathered in community are capable of transforming the entire world. You can run, you can spectate, or you can commit. This is a a series This is a season for our church that invites us to commit. To commit to a life that sees God's blessings not just in those hashtag worthy moments, but also in a sweaty mask. (laughs) Also in an empty sanctuary also in weary eyes in sick bodies and those who hunger and thirst for something more. It's a series that invites us to commit to a life that sees God's blessings in the cracks. And why? Why would we commit ourselves to that kind of life? Because a blessed life is a life transformed. And blessed lives, my friends, gathered together in community are capable of transforming the entire world. In the name of the Father,